Hey friends, just so you know, we enjoy the swear word and we rely on good old fashioned humor to get through some seriously dark subject matter. At no time do we intend any disrespect toward the victims or families of the victims in the cases we cover. Also, be sure to listen to the end for a few palate cleansing bloopers to reset your mindset. And with that, we thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy. Welcome to Crime Will Tell. My name is Jamie. I'm Carrie. Yeah. Hey, Care Bear. Hey, Jamie. Jamie. <laughs> Just kidding. Did that make you cringe? No. Care oh. Bear. People call me Care Bear all the time. I don't know why I, that just popped in my head, but I was like, I'm going to throw that out there and see what the fuck happens. <laughs> what kind of reaction will I get? Yeah. If you're like, don't fucking call me that. Or if it was going to be like, hi. Just don't call me late for dinner. That was good. Yeah. So, are you ready for a wild ride? I'm ready. Okay. Got a little beer there? Yeah, because I need to go to the store and widen my inventory. So, I'm basically drinking whatever I've got. So, I've got myself a nice little Modelo. Okay. Well, I am a big fan of Modelo. Mm -hmm. That's like kind of my go-to summer beer. So, it's good. So, why why are you crying about? It's mighty tasty. I mean, I don't think you need to expand. I think you just need to get some more Modelo. I have a little bourbon on the rocks. Clinkity, 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 clink. Carrie, this is a case of revenge and how money and greed can bring out the absolute fucking worst in people. Mm. Okay. (laughs) And it's a case that involves murders. Plural? Like more than one murder? Correct. So murders, arson, and a missing fugitive. Oh. I brought it all this week. All right. I'm sitting down. Let's go. So we're going to go back just a few years to Tuesday, June 16th of 2020. Oh. The height of COVID. Yeah. So everybody's trying not to cough on people. And in the midst of that, in Sumner, Wisconsin, hadn't mm. heard of it. Where's but, Sumner? Um, so this is this is a small town with less than a thousand residents, and it's about like an hour west of Milwaukee. Okay, so it's actually not that far from where we live. <laughs> it's not, and it's even smaller than Spring Green, Wisconsin, which I thought was right. really fucking small. So. And throw back to, to our first episode. Yeah. Everybody knows everybody. Mm-hmm. Shoot. So, and this is like a very rural-like area, which is also rural is my number one fucking hardest word for me to say. <laughs> so I'm going to try to avoid it <laughs> the best I can. I feel like a fucking idiot when I say it. <laughs> anyway. So at 5.48 p.m., the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office received a call from a female caller. She was totally calm. She stated, this is not an emergency, but she wanted to report that there were broken windows and a possible break-in at her parents' house. The dispatcher advised her not to enter the home in case of a possible intruder still being inside. 
But so a sheriff's deputy was sent to the scene who arrived about 12 minutes after they received the call. Okay. So this all, you know, is pretty quick. So the deputy showed up to what, you know, what appeared to be a very calm scene and what he assumed would be just kind of a quick walkthrough and clearing of the house. Simple report, easy peasy. I'm sure they get calls like this all the time. They're just going to go check up. Is the perp gone? Cool. Let's board up these windows and move on with our day. Yeah. Maybe some asshole teenagers threw some rocks at the windows. Whatever. So as this deputy is walking down the driveway toward a vehicle that was parked in front of the house, he saw a female lying on the ground. He thought maybe she had fallen or was injured and, um, you know, tried talking to her to see if she was okay, but got no response. Was she on the ground outside of the house? She was like next to the vehicle. Okay. And the vehicle was parked in front of the house. He then noticed a trail of blood. So he pulls out his gun and is like, what the fuck? And started, you know, to kind of back away toward the the backside of the car and noticed a man in the back seat of the vehicle. So he asked if he was okay and got no response from him. And so he's just like thoroughly confused at this point. And then shots started being fired at him. Oh my God. He sees a young lady, old lady. He sees a lady laying on the ground outside of the vehicle, blood. Mm-hmm. There's a gentleman inside the car, the vehicle that the lady is laying next to. He's unresponsive. And then all of a sudden, this poor police officer is getting shot at and he doesn't know where the shots are coming from. Correct. So just like a routine call, then it's like, oh, holy shit, he's just trying to make sense of things and protect himself and figure out how many people are on the scene, yada, yada, yada. So... He crouched down beside his squad car and he could see the bullet holes in the vehicle were just like above his head. So he's like straight up being ambushed by gunfire and he can tell that the shots are coming from a second story window of the home. And so because the shooters at, you know, a more elevated position, this put him at a huge disadvantage from the shooter so he fired some return shots and um as he ran like he started to run away from the house and he dove for cover in a ditch on the opposite side of the road like across the street from this house and he started crawling farther away from the house and and was calling for backup because he's just like holy shit like i'm just being ambushed here and i need i need backup especially when somebody's shooting down at him he has nowhere to go yeah, there's nothing you can do at that point. You got to like find cover somewhere. So other deputies arrive at the scene and, you know, they kind of meet across the street and they're assessing the situation. And then they notice that there is thick smoke coming from the house. So they're like, what the fuck? So there's an active shooter, an unknown person chilling in the back of this SUV a seriously injured or possibly deceased person next to the SUV and now a fucking fire. Yeah. So the sheriff's department calls in reinforcements, but they're having to kind of stay back, you know, for their own safety because they don't know what they're walking into. So they end up using a drone to help them kind of assess the scene and figure out what's going on, where the shooter is, how many shooters there might be, 
if anyone else is in danger, etc. So they're using a drone over the property and they spot another body. There is a man who is lying in front of the SUV that the officer just didn't get far enough to see in his initial kind of assessment of the scene. Side note, I love that they're using a drone. Yeah, isn't that cool? That's cool. Yeah, and the drone helps them a lot in this case. So, Jesus Christ, me and my fucking puberty. Your balls dropped again. Yeah, they did. Aww. I'm so the, proud of you. These balls just want to be down. Mm-hmm. So they end up calling in the SWAT team. But by the time that they arrive, the house has been almost completely destroyed by the fire, like burned to the fucking ground. So this thing just like engulfed and is destroyed. But no shooter or shooters have been spotted. Oh, so now I got to know if he got out of the house or she or they. Right. So police end up learning that the call to 911 came from 57-year-old Nedra Lempke. That's a really cool name, Nedra. Nedra, yeah, right? I've never heard that. So she and her husband, Jim, who was 59, had arrived at the property and noticed that second-story windows were broken in the home. So this was the farmhouse on a lot of acreage in a very rural area. Well done. I kind of saw differing, like I I couldn't get an exact amount of the acreage, but I know that it was over 80 acres that they're on. Okay, so so large, large plot of land. This was a farmhouse on a lot of land, okay? Okay. This property was owned by Nedra's father, Vertel Anderson, another (laughs) great name. Loving these names. Who had passed away 11 days earlier. Okay, so a lot has happened in a span of two weeks, a span of a fortnight. Yes, so there's there's a lot happening. And so this property was vacant since her father had passed away, and Nedra and her husband Jim were just checking in on the place. But there was no one living there, so a burglary or vandalism wouldn't have been super surprising if people knew that the property was vacant and yeah. some, some kids wanted to fuck around, whatever. Yeah. So I don't think when they you know, got on the scene or whatever that they were like, oh, there's someone in there and they're going to get us. They were just like, we want to report this. Take your time, whatever. So a little bit about Jim and Nedra. They were part of a super tight knit family. They had five children and they owned a small business. They were known to be very kind, loving, generous, and just hardworking people and were super active and helpful in their church and community. Just truly amazing people. Like those people that no one had a bad word to say. I mean, I know that like all victims light up a fucking room and whatever, but these seem to be just like wholesome, good people. That This is going to break my heart. Yeah. And also the man that I had mentioned who the officer had seen in the back seat was Nedra's brother, Kurt, who is mentally and physically disabled and nonverbal, which is why he stayed in the vehicle and why the officer did not get a a response from him. Because he's nonverbal. Right. Yeah. And he, he must've been absolutely terrified. Yeah. And side (sighs) note, I couldn't get a lot of information about Kurt, but he was okay. Okay. So so he's okay. Yeah. And it's, I mean, and it's really fortunate. Like if you see photos of the scene and just know how quickly this fire 
and engulfed in how big it was, it's very fortunate that he wasn't hurt or that the the vehicle didn't catch fire just from being close to the house. You know, just something could have had like that vehicle could have easily caught fire. House fires can be really fucking hot. They're very yeah. incendiary. Yeah. And that's why I was I was like, okay, thank God that this and SUV also didn't explode. I really have little tolerance for people that fuck with individuals that are impaired in some way, shape, or form. That really, really bothers me. Yeah. I, I'm assuming maybe the shooter didn't know that Kurt was in the vehicle or didn't consider him a threat, mm. whatever. But the fact that he walked away unharmed is a blessing. Thank God. Yeah. So, but like I said, these these were just all amazing people and- it sounded like it, a really lovely family. Yeah, yeah. It just didn't make any sense that anyone would want to hurt these people. So why why is this happening? So autopsy reports confirm that Jim and Nedra were both killed by multiple gunshot wounds. And investigators started combing through the property looking for clues and, and looking for a shooter. Because I'm, I assume that initially they thought the suspect might have died in the fire. But they still started a massive search of the property. That's one of the first thoughts I had was, okay, well, if he set the fire and it caught quickly, was he able to get out? Yeah. And and I want to make sure I'm tracking. So Nedra is the female on the ground next to the vehicle. Her husband, Jim, is in the front of the vehicle on the ground. And her brother, Kurt, who was nonverbal, was inside the vehicle unharmed. Correct. Okay. And so it kind of makes sense... Now, I think, you know, looking back and, you know, just with hindsight that they pull up, they see that these windows are broken out. Nedra's like, I'm going to call police. And Jim probably started to kind of like walk toward the house. And that's when they were ambushed. ambushed. And so similarly to the police officer who responded. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's kind of clear to see now. Between, you know, the time that Nedra made that 911 call and the deputy arriving, probably what happened. 12 minutes. Yeah. Very tight. Which is ironic because case number two had a 12 minute window as well. Yes. Yes. I That's thought weird. the same thing. I was like, whoa. So they end up finding a black Dodge Ram pickup in an outbuilding on the property, which was registered to a Lynn Anderson. And the doors to this building were closed. So they're trying to kind of figure out why that vehicle was there and if it was connected to someone in the family. So they're just looking for any clues that they can find at this point. So they're starting their search and they open up this outbuilding and they see this truck. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So they're like, hmm, maybe this truck belonged to Nedra's father and, you know, he passed away. So nobody's using it, but that's just kind of where they kept it locked up so nobody would mess with it. Who knows? But so they they end up contacting Lynn Anderson and they're like, uh, what the fuck is your truck doing here? And she explains that the truck belongs to her husband, Kevin Anderson, and that that property belongs to his father. Okay. Nedra's parents. So Kevin is her brother. Yes. So Kevin is Nedra's brother and okay. Kurt's brother. The truck is his primary vehicle, so it's not like it was just kept on the property. Like, if the truck is there, you would assume that Kevin would be as well. Okay. 
This does not bode well for Kevin. Yeah. So Lynn, his wife, is like, you know, if his truck's there, then he should be there as well. So, however, police have found no additional victims on the property. So why was the truck hidden? And where the fuck is Kevin? And is he another unfortunate victim or is he now their main suspect? Yeah, definitely have more questions than answers right now. Yeah. So police start looking more into Kevin. They're trying to figure out what the fuck is going on. They learn that he's obviously Nedra's brother. They also learn from his wife, Lynn, that he and Nedra had not been getting along recently, mostly due to the death of their father. This was because Kevin was not happy with the terms of his will. Mm. Oh, So Kevin assumed that their father was going to make him the executor of his will. So there are the three kids, Nedra, Kevin, and Kurt, and they were all left equal portions of the inheritance by their father, as it should be. That's pretty typical. However, Kevin was being a big old titty baby because... <laughs> <laughs> Because their dad actually made Nedra the executor. This didn't mean that she was getting more than her brothers. She would just basically be the point person for attorneys, banks, insurance companies, etc. Like that she wasn't getting a bigger chunk of the pie. Was she the oldest? No, Kevin was. Oh, okay. Well, I'm the oldest. I should be the executor. Right? Yeah. I'm a dude and whatever. And honestly, like, I don't know why Kevin would want the extra responsibility. It's a lot of work to be the executor of somebody's estate. If your inheritance remains the same, like, I would be like, sure, Nedra, good luck. So, I mean, just he's being a dickhead. And unfortunately, situations like these cause major disputes and can rip families apart. And it's mm. just, it's really sad and it can be very ugly and... Like you said at the beginning, money and greed make people do some crazy fucking things. Yeah. From what police could could gather, it, it seemed like Nedra and her husband Jim wanted to sell the house and the land and split the profits. And Kevin likely wanted to keep the property. So, of course, that gets into a situation where if Kevin chose to keep the property, he would have to buy out his siblings' shares. Which, you know, that gets a little wonky and whatever. But knowing all of this, Kevin quickly becomes a prime suspect in the murders. Well, and also, they have his truck, his primary mode of transportation. They don't have him. Exactly. Which is odd. Yeah, yeah. He is nowhere to be found. It's almost like he just vanished from this property. And, but... Police still issue a warrant for his arrest on June 26th of 2020, which was 10 days after the murder or the, the murderer, sorry. And he was wanted for homicide and arson. So who the fuck is Kevin? Who is Kevin Anderson? Uh, he's an arson and a murderer. It sounds like, I, I mean, if, if I'm going with your trajectory here. Yeah. So they dig into Kevin and he was 61 years old at the time, and he was kind of considered to be a bit of a loner and likely the black sheep of the family, which is fine. I, I actually have a black sheep tattoo. I was going to say, aren't you the black sheep of your family? Yeah, you own that shit. That doesn't mean you're a bad person. You, you're just a black sheep. An arsonist and whatever. So, but Nedra and Jim's kids said that while Kevin lived nearby them, they only saw him like once or twice a year. Maybe mm. maybe at the holidays or a big family event or whatever. 
So Kevin was never really close with anyone in the family, and he reportedly drank quite a bit and was known to have a very violent temper. Mm. So he was just kind of an asshole. You know, it it seems like these are real winning traits that don't Mm. earn you executor status. (laughs) It is not what the book How to Win Friends and Influence People is predicated on. Again, police are just kind of like digging into Kevin, figuring out what's going on. And this wasn't the first time LK Dog had been in trouble. Nope, nope. (laughs) (laughs) In the early 1990s, he was convicted of reckless endangerment and firearms violations. This was when he had been drinking at a bar with a friend and they were pretty pretty well intoxicated and decided to just go out in the parking lot and start fucking with cars. Now I I couldn't figure out if they were vandalizing these cars or just trying to break into them, but someone came out of the bar and totally busted them. And then they run back in and of course tell all these other drunk people in the bar, like, Hey, somebody's fucking with our cars. So all these pissed people come running out of the bar and Kevin pulls out a gun and just starts shooting at people. Mm. So he likes to shoot guns. Yeah. Yeah. He likes to just shoot at people. Apparently I couldn't really find any other details about his convictions. So I don't know what he was sentenced to, like how much time he served, but he did have a criminal record and should not have been around or owned any firearms. Mm. So he's obviously immediately like in violation. Yeah. And it shows that he just always had an award-winning personality. This guy was a real A+. He sounds like somebody you want to spend time with. Oh, yeah. I'm like, yo, Kev, let's go drink and fuck with cars at a bar. See what happens. Sounds fun. Yeah. Do you have a gun? Because if you do, why don't you bring that? Yeah, why don't you go ahead and grab that? So investigators are trying to track him down. And they go to speak with his wife, Lynn. And she verifies the tension in the family and how angry Kevin was. And while they're at the house, they actually find a copy of their father's will on the kitchen table. Like he had just been stewing over the details. And Lynn said she had no idea where Kevin was. Question. Yes. Did the police do a thorough search of the ruins of the home to determine that there was nobody else or any other bodies there. So they figured out that he hadn't, whoever the shooter was, escaped? Yes. There were okay. no remains found in the, the burned out farmhouse. Okay. So that's why they're like, this dude's gone. Where the fuck did he go? Like, how did he get out, number one? And where where is he? So now they're issuing bolos all over the place. Right. Police are looking into all this and they figured out that there had been some funky shit going on at the property. And this is all from talking to Lynn and Edris kids and, and other family. Like they're just piecing all of this together. So after their father's death, Nedra had discovered that the locks to this farmhouse had been changed and oh. that there were, there were guns missing from the house. And she and Jim had actually discovered a trail cam that had been installed on the property. Okay. So even though this house was vacant, it wasn't unfurnished. Was that where their parents lived or yes. their father? Okay. So he had passed 11 days prior, leaving the house vacant, but it was, right. it, somebody was living there until just recently. Right. Okay. 
they also noticed that like they would leave and come back and lights would be on in the house that they were certain that they had you know turned off when they had left the time before and Nedra had no idea who had done these things but they were just kind of like what the fuck what's going on and then of course when they arrived the day of the murders there were the broken out windows that she had reported so there was just kind of like some very suspicious stuff going on leading up to that day so police found Nedra's cell phone near her body at the scene on it they found a group text that she had sent earlier that day. So it was at 9.33 that morning, the day of the murders. And one of the numbers included in this group text was Kevin's. And the text said, and I quote, Hi, everyone. Just wanted to put this out to see if anyone wants to take up the task of keeping the farm's grass mowed this summer. It's getting long. So she's obviously just like, hey, we need to like be taking care of the property until we figure out what we're going to do with it. Let's figure this shit out. So then at 12.41 p.m. that same day, she had called Kevin, but he didn't answer. And so she left a voicemail that said, Hi, Kevin. This is Nedra. Say I have plans to get the mowing done at the farm, and so I need access into the shed to get to the mower. If you could call me back and let me know, we're planning on doing that tonight, so that would be really helpful. Okay, I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Which... She just makes her sound so fucking sweet, too, which, like, breaks my heart. She's like, you're a fucking dickhead, and you're making this really complicated, but I'm still going to be cordial and as accommodating as possible and polite. And I think, like, reading over that voicemail, I was like, fuck. When it comes to adult relationships, the emotional maturity of some people to, despite differences, can keep it cordial and civil. I have a lot of respect for those people because it's really easy to get your, let your emotions like completely control you and take Mm -hmm. you away. And then you respond and react off the cuff and you're not really thinking logically. And also, did you know that when we process as humans, when we process information, it goes into our emotional center first. And if we don't give ourselves enough time to process what we're intaking, to let it go through our emotional system into our logic system will respond emotionally. So there's an emotional intelligence and an emotional maturity for people that can like put aside those kinds of differences and keep the civility intact. I have a lot of respect for that. Yeah, yeah. So this voicemail that they discover indicates that he knew when Nedra and Jim were going to be at the property. Cat's out of the bag. Kevin's a fucking monster. Prime suspect number one. He didn't tell her he was going to be there. He hid his truck and then hid in the house so he could ambush them. I mean, there's, and there's, there's no other way to look at this. Broke out the window so that he had clear firing or he shot through the window and that's what broke it out. Either way, he took up stance like the fucking grassy knoll shooter. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'm assuming that like another, not only for access or whatever, but like breaking out the windows would potentially make them stop and not just rush into the house where he would be able to shoot them kind of make them stall a little bit that he could take them out quicker like the element of surprise was on his side they're going to try to assess the situation size it up and he would be able to take them out yeah that is harsh yeah so it's it's very very intense and this all just screams premeditation i mean this wasn't like days on end but obviously he'd been stewing about this and he had 
hours to be able to plan this. I assume that his intention was to shoot them, possibly discard of their bodies somewhere, leave the property and just kind of magically get away with this. However, he didn't anticipate that Nedra was going to make the call to 911. But that it's it's just hard to figure out because then the house went up so fast in flames and it burned so quickly like it seems that maybe he would have had the accelerant with already him, yeah like as a backup plan or maybe after he heard Nedra make that phone call he had time to run out to a shed or something and get some accelerant and bring it in like maybe he didn't initially plan to burn the house down Maybe he was going to move the bodies into the house and then burn it down. Like there's all kinds of possibilities about what his initial plan was, like what his initial intentions were versus what happened. Yeah, because I'm sitting here thinking like, what the hell was the purpose of burning the house? Yeah. Why did he burn the house down? Your theory of perhaps he was thinking about dragging the Jim and Nedra's bodies into the house and then setting the house on fire to make it look like they burned in a house fire Mm -hmm. or cover any evidence Mm -hmm. and then be able to just get back in his truck, drive away, have built an alibi somewhere and be shocked whenever he found out about the fire and whatever. Cause there weren't people around to report a fire until he could be, very far away from the scene so there's just all these questions but there's really no doubt at this point who's responsible for this because i mean in any scenario he's just a heartless dingleberry and (laughs) was planning on this and and it sucks too because kurt was there but he isn't able to offer any sort of statement or details as to what happened but he witnessed this so I'm sure that he experienced some sort of trauma, but isn't able to provide any clever. I mean, he saw his sister, like the two people that were probably taking the best care of him gunned down and wasn't able to express what's going on or, you know, provide any information to police. So that's just like another aspect oh of this that is just really heartbreaking. That breaks my heart. Like poor Kurt and trauma. Definitely like definitely trauma. He saw, his sister and brother-in-law get shot and killed right in front of him. Then he saw the home of his parents burn down. He may or may not have seen who was responsible for shooting. And if he did see that, I I can't even imagine. I hope Kurt is doing well today. Yeah. I I really hope he's doing well. And if Kevin had known that Kurt was in the backseat, would he have? Did he not know? We have no idea. But like if, if, he had like did he spare him or would he have gunned him down as well oh my gosh yeah so it's just it's fucked up just across the board and and so where this house is there are no close neighbors and no close houses across the road or either side of the property so there were yeah and so there were a couple of outbuildings on the property but not really any places for him to take cover and be able to hide out like, they, police would have found him pretty quickly. So no remains were found in the burned-out home. And it's believed that he escaped out the back door after the fire was set and is on the run. So police used dogs, planes, helicopters, thermal imaging. They Did, did huge... they use 
Did they use a drone? Yes. They did ground searches and drones to search thousands of acres around this property, but they couldn't locate him or find any trace of him. Really? And so, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable that he was able to disappear without being seen or found at this point. Did he have help? It appears no. Wow. Okay. They have not found any indication that anyone helped him. But at the time, authorities did issue alerts to the public and especially to hunters because, I mean, months are going by and this gets into the fall and they're like, hey, hunters, keep an eye out for this guy because he's possibly just living out here in the wilderness. Keep an eye out for him or any evidence of maybe any spots that are obvious that someone's kind of living in the woods, remotely, whatever. Um, So Kevin was an avid hunter and camper and Mm. could have easily just kind of been chilling in the woods that whole time. So he had like wilderness expertise. Yeah. But here we are over three years later and he has not been found. And it seems unlikely that he could have survived in the wilderness that long with limited supplies and resources you know, so they're trying to figure out if somebody helped him or was covering for him. Is he living somewhere now under a totally different identity? Is did he, he can't? Is did he, he take his own life? Well, yeah. I mean, there's just all these questions. Like, is he in Canada? Because you know where we live and where this took place. It's close you to know, the border. Yeah, you wouldn't be far from Canada. Did he get scurvy and die in the fucking woods? <laughs> Jury's out. We have no fucking clue, but there's just so many possibilities of what could have happened to him. But there, again, have been no remains found and no indication of him getting help, living somewhere else, whatever. And there have been no credible sightings or tips given to law enforcement. They've done multiple searches of Kevin's home. There are no indicators that he like cleaned out bank accounts or that his wife you know, notice a bunch of stuff missing. Like, obviously, if he was planning on going to the on the run and knew that he was going to be gone for a lot of time, you would think that there would be obvious things missing. Sleeping bags, money, additional firearms, things that he would have wanted to take with him. And there just aren't any obvious signs that he knew that he was going to be, like, on the run. And I don't see him being a super tech savvy guy you know and being able to get like a whole new identity or something without leaving some sort of trace or trail for police to stumble upon and you know there aren't any any signs anyone aided him in escaping nothing it's just a big giant fucking question mark so have they tried to look at his cell phone data that was one thing that i never saw maybe he didn't use a cell phone I mean, he was 61 in 2020. I mean, there's a lot of elderly that are just like, I'm not going to use a cell phone. Yeah. And that was one thing that I wondered too. And I don't know if it was maybe left in the truck or Mm. he left it in the house or whatever. Has his wife, Lynn, been questioned? Yeah. Yeah. They've. And she's just like, I don't know where he is. By all accounts from law enforcement, she's just like, has no idea where he is. Didn't know he was planning this. Whatever. That is wild. I I couldn't imagine like 
Sean just disappearing one day and then like three years have gone by and I have never heard from him. I don't know where he is. I don't know if he's alive. That is just wild to me. And after doing something so fucking horrible. Well, I I think it's pretty freaking obvious he's the perp because he's been missing for just over three years Mm -hmm. from the time that Nedra and Jim were shot and killed and the house was burned down. Like, clearly that's not a coincidence. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that there's any doubt. And there was one thing that I read that I I didn't add to my story, but I'll mention it. Like, Jim and Nedra's son, I saw in an interview that their son is generally kind of armed. Like, he has, like, a conceal and carry license. And so a lot of times he has a firearm on him. Not uncommon here in Wisconsin. No. Not at all. And so Jim had actually asked their son if he was going to be carrying at the funeral of Nedra's father, because I think that there was so much animosity and tension between Kevin and the rest of the family that he was actually that concerned about Kevin's behavior that he asked his son, like, hey, are you just I think for peace of mind was like, hey, are you going to have a gun? And so that's how bad it must have been. Prior to all of this, when I saw that interview, I was like, shit, that's that says a lot right there about where we are now. So where are we today? The poli- This is a cold case. Police are just trying to figure out where the fuck Kevin is. Yeah. So basically, Kevin was charged with two counts of first degree intentional homicide. Yeah, because that was freaking planned. Yeah. One count of attempted first degree intentional homicide. Kurt. No, for shooting at the deputy. Because, oh. because I mean, he his intention was to kill that. The deputy. Yeah, because, I mean, if he could have taken out the deputy before he called for backup, it would have given him time to get away. Obviously, yeah. he, he wasn't just trying to scare the deputy. He was trying to take he him out. He was trying to he take him out. got lucky. And then one count of arson of a building and one count of possession of a firearm by a felon. Yeah, because he wasn't allowed to have one. Yes. Yeah. So Kevin is now 64 years old. Police, you know, just just was kind of the description that they had given of him. So he's a Caucasian male. He's six foot tall and weighs approximately 200 pounds. He has blue eyes and balding brown, but like graying hair. Like he's Mm. definitely Mm -hmm. going gray. He's been known to have varying facial hair. Like in some pictures, he's got a short goatee, sometimes a long one or a mustache or he's clean shaven. So Mm -hmm. he kind of looks different depending on how Mm -hmm. his facial hair is but he always looks like a giant asshole and i (laughs) i'm being serious if you look at pictures of him he just looks like a giant meanie like he just looks like an angry bastard Mm. um he's obviously likely armed and considered to be very dangerous and if he's been living in the woods for three fucking years he probably smells like soup so (laughs) I'm just going to throw that out there. If you see a dude that matches that description and fucking reeks, it might be Kevin. My biggest questions, like researching this where I'm like, what about Lynn? Yeah. What, what about Lynn and Kurt? Like I wanted to really make sure that Lynn wasn't involved and this must've been devastating for her. I can't imagine. And I wanted to make sure that Kurt was okay, but I just really couldn't find any information about them. And I mean, unfortunately, that's not really where the story ends, but that's as far as we can get into it with what we know now. And it's it's 
bizarre and like unfulfilling as fuck. Mm. And I really just wish that he would be found, you know, whether it's him being captured and he spends the rest of his life in prison or if they just find remains of him that he died in the woods somewhere, either taking his own life or succumb to the elements. Exactly. Like winters here are not easy. Like, I don't know how someone could survive. I don't think it's possible. Yeah, eventually he would have needed supplies, money, something. Either way, the children of Nedra and Jim and the rest of their family deserve answers and justice. So if anyone sees or has any information on his location, they should contact the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office at 920-674-7310. Or people can also leave an anonymous tip at 1-800-78-CRIME. So that's the story of the tragic deaths of Nedra and Jim Lemke and the ongoing manhunt for Kevin Anderson. And I'm going to be real honest. I am now a little fearful that I'm going to run into this motherfucker. (laughs) Like straight up, just at the grocery store, like reaching for some hummus and like... (laughs) look up and he's reaching for the same hummus and I got to like try and keep it cool. I can guarantee that I will shit my pants, but try to play it off and just shit him right there and then panic and call authorities. But it could happen. It could happen. It sounds far fetched, but I don't think it's far fetched because a lot of these people, they hide out in plain sight. Yeah. And I mean, he may have had some buddies somewhere who knows that, He might have. Gave him a place to stay for a while. I mean, hopefully they'll just find a skeleton in the woods somewhere. But it is telling that he hasn't accessed any bank accounts. I know we don't know anything about his cell phone activity, but I would imagine that the police have had to have looked into that to kind of try to zero in on that. That's the easiest way, right? And if they're not finding anything, then he's clearly not using his cell phone. I mean, here we are plus three years later. And the police are no further ahead now than they were three years ago. So clearly he's, it leads me to, I wonder if he like took his own life or something. But I mean, like if he's willing to leave his wife of, you know, however many years, I don't know. That's, that leaves me in a really uncomfortable, I think it's the the psychology of not having closure. Yeah. And I was going to say, like point out something because I think one really cool thing about true crime and liking true crime is that when you hear stories like these, there's often something we can kind of like learn from or take something from and maybe even help like prevent other really horrific situations from happening. I'm sorry if you can hear my dog tip tapping (laughs) around. She's wanting to be involved in this, but in this case, like one thing that kept just kind of like running through my head is The importance of making your last wishes known and very clear to your family while you're still alive. And I know that that seems strange, but in this case, they, I don't believe that they knew the details of their father's will until after he had passed away. And Kevin felt really betrayed and super blindsided. I I mean, I don't believe that he wouldn't have still done something stupid, but maybe it wouldn't have gotten to this level maybe this wouldn't have happened if all of this information had been you know presented by their father 
when he was alive and he could have explained why he made the decisions that he did. I'm just a firm believer that like your last wishes are yours. It's the ending that you get to choose. It's your legacy. And make sure that the people around you are clear on what your wishes are. And if you're on the other end, don't be a greedy fucking asshole. That's my life advice and silver linings with Jamie, I guess. I just feel like that's something that's key in life that can prevent a lot of just tension and unneeded shitty feelings and hurt feelings that can create really bad situations. Yeah. And give people time to process. Yeah. It's a sad but important part of the life cycle. Exactly. So I just wanted to point that out. Sage advice. Thanks. That was amazing. Yikes. So we got a crazy nutcase running around here. So yeah. So check your backyards. Hmm. <laughs> just kidding. I have a cornfield. Yeah. He's probably out there. Don't <laughs> do that. I don't like that at all. Wow. Th- well, thank you for sharing the story. That was. Thank you for that listening. was a ride. We made it through. We did. Cheers. Clink. What a day. So there you have it. And thank you everyone else for listening. We appreciate you. If you haven't already done so, please follow us on Facebook, Instagram. And if you have any show ideas, cases you think we should cover, the more obscure the better, please send an email to crimewilltellpod at gmail.com. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah. What else? You're supposed to say bye, Carrie. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Bye, Carrie. Bye, Jamie. Okay. Oh, my God. I love that for you. I love that your balls are down in place. You fucking suck. I got to take a sip of water. Yeah, me too. I got to take a sip of beer. I'm going to say that again because I had a real hard pee. That's A-OK, man. Fuck. Are we, like, super hot? We're Iowa babies. It's Tits Out Tuesday. You can fucking figure it out. Skip dirt. Uh, Cut that out.